Imagine being the trauma surgeon at Parkland Hospital on the night of the Dallas police shootings on July 7th, 2016. How would that change you? We'll be talking with Dr. Brian Williams about just that on Good God coming up. Hello, I'm George Mason, host of Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. And I'm thrilled to be able to welcome to the program today, Dr. Brian Williams. Brian, thank you for coming. No, I'm honored to be here. Thank you very much. Well, Brian, I think the easiest way probably for me to introduce you to our audience uh, at this point is just to remember back to July 7th, 2016. Uh, as FDR said back at the time of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, it was a day that will live in infamy in Dallas, Texas, because it was the day uh, that we experienced the, uh, the terrible shootings of the Dallas police officers and you had a very special uh, role in, on that day because you were a trauma surgeon at Parkland Hospital, a place where uh, John F. Kennedy had gone 50, just 50 more years, yeah. uh, 53 years earlier, uh, and you were right in the midst of that with your hands in the, the middle of uh, blood and guts in a way that was life transforming for you and saving lives and some lost. Tell us about what that was like for you that day. Yeah, well, July 7, 2016, that day of the shooting, that's a day that, for me, it's one of the worst nights of my mm -hmm. professional career. Mm -hmm. And it's also a, a, a transforming night as far as me personally and, and spiritually. Mm -hmm. uh, I still think about it every day, and I recognize that, I still think about those families that are impacted and uh, the, the, the police officers and all their colleagues. This one event impacted had ripple effects yes. in the lives of so many people. Yeah. Uh, my role as a trauma surgeon, like the hospital where I work, it's so busy that there's always a trauma surgeon yes. in the hospital 24-7. Mm -hmm. And this was a night that I was there, initially a night I was not supposed to work, but changed uh, the shift with one of my, with one of my colleagues. Mm -hmm. And then this tragedy uh, occurred, which I hadn't, no expectation was going to happen. Uh, but for me, it actually occurred at a time in my life when I was thinking about a number of other things. And we talked about July 7th, but I think it's important to remember that on July 6th, that was the night of Philando Castile's death in Minnesota. Right. And on July 5th was Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge. Right. So we had 72 hours of death and loss and a, a lot of rhetoric around yes. race and violence and policing in this country. Yes. And July 7th, that protest was, uh, was an outgrowth of yes. that event. And I was also thinking about my role as a trauma surgeon who routinely sees being a result of gun violence and my role as a African-American disproportionately African-American. Exactly, the people like the victims, mm -hmm. and also my role as an African-American male yes. in this role yes. and as a citizen of this country. So these were many of the things that were I was ruminating on at that point of my life right. when this tragedy occurred. And that event brought together a lot of those elements in a fashion that was, I mean, it became a flashpoint for the country. Yes. Uh, 
that night when it happened, and a lot of attention is focused upon me, but it's pretty important. I'm, I'm part of a team mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. nurses and students and residents and other doctors, um, but I am the only black trauma surgeon on the faculty. So I, I had a perspective about this event that no one else had uh, going into it and after it. And that was something I could not ignore at the, at the end of all this. You know, you raised that and it, it, it strikes me that immediately in the aftermath of all of that, we, we, we easily forgot uh, about Alton Sterling and Philando Castro. Uh, and the reason for the march to begin with. Correct. A peaceful protest, which incidentally, the Dallas police did a beautiful job of actually helping the protesters, encouraging them, walking alongside, helping keep them safe, and were not angry about their protests. They were, uh, they were acting responsibly, uh, and you know, there's a vulnerability in everything we do, um, but, um, but it occurred to me that all of a sudden, back the blue signs shows up, show up in all these yards in my neighborhood. Uh, support the police, back the blue, this is what has to happen, look, what, look at the trauma that happened. And I see the same thing happening with the national anthem protests now, you know, the NFL. Uh, instead of asking, what is the cause of this kneeling and these protests? Let's listen and say, why would someone put their career on the line for this and make, make themselves so vulnerable? Uh, instead, we, make, we have a tendency to make it always about uh, law and order and about uh, defending only one party that's established in, in, this, in this whole struggle. When I don't mind if you put a, a back the blue sign, but then Black Lives Matter sign ought to be right next to it in your yard right. uh, at the same time if we really want to heal the community. Huh? And that's something I still struggle with now is that there is this expectation that it's a binary decision. Exactly. You have to choose a side. It's either right. or. And it's impossible to do that without exploring the history of how we got to this point that we are right. now. And I, something I tried to make very clear is I, I'm, I'm not anti-police, I'm pro-police. Absolutely. But we could not deny that the, the race, racial undertones of this event con- contributed to the tragedy, and that, that goes back generations. Mm-hmm. It didn't just happen out of a vacuum. Right. There, there's a lot of history that we need to reckon with as a society to explain why this happens. Not to justify it, right. but we need to do this in order to move forward right. uh, towards a positive, progressive future. Well, we'll get to what you're doing now and how transformational that was to you, uh, this, this event, in terms of your own um, sense of vocation and, and how you'll um, pursue that in the years ahead, which is still evolving. Right. But at that moment, I, I heard you say in a public meeting uh, last year uh, that um, there, there was a kind of change that happened to you that night where you realized, you started connecting the dots in your own story and realized that in a way you had felt somewhat insulated from uh, the identification because you're a medical professional, you're a surgeon, you, you attended great schools, you, you made it in some sense. Right. 
but there was an uneasiness that was percolating in you, and this crystallized that. Yes, and I've been to these great schools, uh, went to medical school, served in the military, and I, I felt that I've done, I've checked all the boxes right. that American society expects of anyone. Right. And if you do that to say, okay, you're a success. Right. However, I have always felt and still felt that there is an asterisk mm -hmm. by all that because I'm an African-American male. Right. And that reality, I don't walk around in my spare time with you know, doctor painted on my forehead sure. or you know, Air Force veteran. Uh, there are still people that will, no matter what I've done, will assume that I am inferior or suspicious mm -hmm. or a threat based on the color of my skin. And, and that's just the that's just the reality of what it is in this country. So my option is to um, complain about that all the time or move forward and try to uh, sh spread positivity, but still challenge people to think about why is that? This is not okay and what's the history of our country that's brought us to this point? We're still now. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's really incredible to think about a person of your accomplishments, and yet, because of the color of your skin, you can still stand outside your apartment, uh, if, if I recall getting ready to go to the airport or something, right. and, uh, and waiting for a ride, and, uh, and, and be stopped by the police and harassed, uh, Tell that story. I mean, I, I think it's, see, I think a lot of us think that if, if black people were just polite to the police uh, and did what white people do, just if we all had the same attitudes and didn't get confrontational, then everything would be okay. Right. But that's not really the way it works, is it? I mean, partly true, partly well, true, but. We've seen several incidents of that over the last year where that, what you've just described is true. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened to me, this is probably about six years ago, mm -hmm. where I was standing outside of my apartment complex waiting for a ride to the airport. And the police came up to question me about why I was there. Right. And they, I learned, later learned they came there because someone called it a report to the police and it said that there was a bald man acting suspiciously. And that was the genesis of that encounter. Mm -hmm. uh, but I knew during that encounter not to mouth off, not right. to move quick, I, quickly. Uh, I knew I had to make them feel safe, yes. despite the fear I had, mm -hmm. which is, that's a statement about where we are in this country. Yes. But I was just standing there, someone called, the police responded. Mm -hmm. Now, it ended fine. I, I, I ended up fine as far as my physical um, well-being, but right. psychologically that has an impact on you. And there are people like me that this happens to them all the time. Yes. Like, you know, I think Castile had a couple dozen times that this happened to him. So you can't minimize the psychological effect that that has on people of color. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, so, I mean, being able to own those stories and to, to have people listen beyond the black community that knows, experiences this all the time, uh, you know, I think having a forum where you're, you're now listened to, uh, where, where because of your role uh, in the Dallas shootings and all of that, suddenly you're a celebrity, a local celebrity, 
people are actually listening to this this aspect of your story too. There is a kind of um, um, backhanded blessing to being able to now have a, a platform, isn't it? Yes. However, Go on. it is very uncomfortable mm -hmm. for me. Uh, I've learned to accept it, but for me, a very private person, mm -hmm. uh, speaking out on issues of social equity and racial injustice and sharing my own personal story, just being vulnerable like that is not something that I've ever considered to be um, that I've never been comfortable doing or, right. or aspired to do. Sure. And even in the beginning after all this happened, I was very reluctant to still step into that, to that space. Right. Uh, I mean, I've had a lot of help from my wife. My wife, she's in the background of all this. Yes. And as, as, as a, a silent um, source of support and encouragement <laughs> and, yes. and, and getting me out there. So, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm walking this path. Uh, but I cannot say that I'm, I'm totally comfortable in my skin, but I'm comfortable accepting that I'm uncomfortable doing it, and I recognize the importance of doing this. You know, what, what I'd like to do following the break we're going to take in just a moment is pursue that a little more because what you're expressing is the same thing every prophet in the Bible said when called upon to speak and act in the name of God and in the name of justice, and that is, I don't want to do this. Right, right. There's not a single prophet who said, you know, I, I really think God has um, raised me up to be a voice and I'm eager to do that. No, every one of them had the sense, not me, Lord, you know, please, not me. So I want to talk a little more about this sense of duty, this sense of call and the faith that also you draw upon right. in that. When we come back from the break, we'll talk a little more about that. Thank you. Faith Forward Dallas at Thanksgiving Square is a broad and diverse coalition of Dallas's faith leaders dedicated to service, hope, and a shared vision for North Texas. Faith Forward Dallas creates and supports a community of respect and compassion for all. Sharing in the mission of the Thanksgiving Foundation to heal divisions and enhance mutual understanding. We're back with Brian Williams, Dr. Williams. We're so grateful to have you with us. And we were talking just before the break about how in, in some sense you are reluctant to talk about yourself and to uh, take your experience and, 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 and become more of a public person as a result of this uh, experience of, of what happened to you and um, with you in uh, response to the Dallas police shootings. Uh, but you're now answering that call. Uh, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, tell us about your own personal faith and how that plays into it. How did you grow up and how has that sure. developed over time? Well, I grew up, I'm, I'm a military brat, uh -huh. and that is enough for a lot of people when you just say that, uh -huh. military brat. But my father was career Air Force, uh -huh. so our family, we moved every couple of years around the country and around the world. And I, I, that experience, it, I think is very important, which I didn't appreciate when I was younger. Right. But being exposed to different parts of the country and all the regional differences within our own country, traveling across around the world and seeing other cultures, but also being around other military kids and parents that were doing the exact same thing. Right. So it just formed my worldview of, uh, you know, in inclusivity, and we all come from different backgrounds, but 
this is what makes us special. Mm-hmm. And that was something that's ingrained to me, ingrained in me from a young age. I, and I can say that looking back now, but at the time, didn't recognize mm-hmm. how important that was. Now, by its important as far as my faith, we grew up, I was raised Protestant, non-denominational Protestant. Mm-hmm. And this is because on the base, if you're on the base, there's one church. That's right. You're going to be Protestant. You're going to be Catholic. Right. You're going to be Jewish. Exactly. Right. Right. And uh-huh. the Protestants go to church at the same time, right. clean it up. Catholic. You know, it's just how sure. it worked. So that's how I grew up. But in probably you know middle school, early high school is when I started drifting away from religion. And at some point, I said I am not going to church anymore. Mm-hmm. I just stopped going to church. And it happened at a time when I was coming into my own and under, you know, recognizing what it meant to be a black male. Mm-hmm. And looking back at their religious teachings, I learned it was, these were all white male authoritarian figures. Mm-hmm. Um, every significant figure in the studies I received in Bible school, they were white. Yes. And I, so I asked my question, like where does someone like me fit into this story? Yes. And is there any space for me here? Right. And ultimately, I decided there is not. They're, they're not talking to me. Right. Uh, so why should I spend time learning this uh, religion that excludes me from the story as far as you know, the positive aspects? Um, that was me, my preteen, teenage mind. So I just stopped going to church and, and I mean, decades, mm-hmm. I would drift back and say, let me try this out. And I sought out different religions and nothing really grabbed me. And did a lot of, a lot of reading and, you know, some books like Karen Armstrong's oh, Holy sure. War and uh, I guess Tom Friedman's from Beirut to Jerusalem. What a book. So yeah. I read these books and I'm like, man, religion is used a lot to divide people yeah, exactly. and to justify death and destruction. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't bring myself back into it. Um, but over the last few years, I st- started just kind of slowly drifting back into it. Uh, you know, having a daughter helped. It does help, yeah. But still, my programming didn't allow me to I- embrace it or to jump back into it. And even as I sit here now, uh, I can't say that I fully embraced it, uh, but I'm less resistant, uh, resistant to it. And I can say God without, you know, getting stuck in my throat. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, it's understandable right. for so many reasons. And then you're also a man of science, too. Right. So, you know, all of these things, we, we've not always been at our best in the religious world and right. in, in accepting science and, uh, and, and, and being, you know, the word religion <laughs> actually has kind of a, an anatomical root. That, uh, religiere uh, means uh, the ligaments to tie, to, to bind the ligaments back together after right. they've been broken. I mean, you know, this is what you do, right? right? Uh, and so religion's supposed to heal what's broken in our society, and yet we keep being the ones to break the ligaments, uh, right. to the, the ties that bind us. So uh, we, we're our own worst enemy in that respect. But uh, even people who've wrestled with uh, formal religion, uh, at times in their journey like yours, there is uh, an awareness that there must be some meaningfulness to my life, some purpose, some driving force that why was I in this place? 
why have my life experiences all been leading to this moment where I'm beginning think that all these things are coming together for me in some way that seems to be the work of some spirit at work in the world that people of religion testify to over time right yeah. and uh, you know I, I'm freely talking about my, my spirituality yes but I, st I still have trouble saying religion you know it's just right. it's hard to over overcome that right but uh, I no longer feel like my analytical side of my brain is in, is comp competing with the uh, the spiritual side right, right. Um, you know I like numbers and straight lines and everything yes. in the box yes. and this forces me to to step outside that right. and you know, I'm, I'm actually I feel like I'm walking this path of spirituality, and I'm and I'm comfortable in talking about that. And I don't feel like I have to know the answers, and I don't feel like I have to know where it's it's going. And I don't feel like I have to really explain myself clearly to any, no. anybody about it. No. But I can tell you, I now feel comfortable being inside of a church. Before, okay. I felt as I was an imposter and didn't belong here. What do you think is the change? What what's happened to 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 begin to open that up a little bit? Uh, my, my wife has been, you know, very helpful. You know, we talk about this a lot, mm -hmm. uh, reading a lot uh, of books about spirituality and religion. And these books allowed me to not feel like I had to commit myself to, you know, dogmatic yes. ideals and practices and just say, you know, right. this is. And then when I see my daughter every day, just look at her, I'm like, yeah, that, she's a miracle. Right. You know, she, you know, she can drive me to insanity every now and then, but I'm like, she's definitely a miracle. Uh, so how was this all happening? And then we take goes us back to July seventh. That night in the aftermath, uh, I feel that was a moment where I'm put in a position where you okay, you need to decide what it is you're going to do yes. because you've been running from you've really been running from all these issues mm -hmm. for your entire life yet you've been prepared for for this right so what are you going to do going forward what do you want your contribution to humanity mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. and this is an important topic that's not going away right. so you need to step into the arena right. or you can uh, pretend like it didn't happen put it in this box and go on with your life. How do you feel you've been received as you've begun to open up uh, and be more of an advocate and a spokesperson for racial justice? I, I would say overwhelmed, well, most of it is positive. Okay. Uh, I've, I've received incredible feedback from people that, uh, that surprised me, either Face to face, mm -hmm. I received letters from around the world, mm -hmm. uh, random emails uh, from folks because you know my emails. You can find me online because mm -hmm. I work for the, the university or now the hospital. So the things that people have written and said to me are very moving, and it's one it's one of the things that fuels me to continue to do this because mm -hmm. I recognize okay I'm, I'm having impact on at least a few people as I move forward. There, there is also a subset of negativity. Uh, I, I've had, I've been told or written that I should not be allowed to care for white people uh, because of what I, what they've heard me say. Uh, I've been, I, I should not be allowed to care for police officers. Wow. Uh, there's been uh, people of color that have 
said that they were glad that I let these officers die as if I did this on purpose, wow. you know, and um, mm. that's... It's hurtful. It's just painful and, uh, I mean, thinking about that night is, is difficult and as you can see now, just trying to stay focused. Yes. Because um, mm -hmm. I got into medicine about serving humanity. It's about right. being a healer and right. the thought that I would not want someone to have a good outcome because of the color of their skin or their profession. It's just, it's antithetical to who I am at my core. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and, and when you are a healer at your core, it doesn't stop just with uh, what happens in an operating room, does it? No. There's about, it's about healing the human spirit as well. And this, um, the, the thing that doctors have told me over the years, and as a, as a minister I've witnessed also, is the, just the powerful psychosomatic aspect, the connection of healing between how we think, not only how we feel, but how we feel about how we feel. Right. That is to say, you know, the spirit has an, an important role in the body's healing, doesn't it? Uh, and that's certainly true of society as well. To be to stop at just the uh, physical uh, isn't really to be a healer. Right. And it's I've, it's forced me to at least work on being more intentional about everything I do, every interaction. Yes. And I'm not, and I'm saying I'm perfect at it, but right. I, I do try to be intentional about every interaction I have, uh, on every day. Yeah. And when I don't do well, and I, I think about that afterwards, and I, have, I ruminate on that. I'm like, I could have done this right. differently. Right. So when you look back on uh, July seventh, two thousand sixteen, and what has happened in Dallas since then. Uh, do you do you think we've gone back to sleep, or are we more awake as a result of that? So since July seventh, speaking for Dallas, it, it is it has changed my relationship with the city. Okay, uh, you know I moved here eight years ago, mm -hmm. uh, not a Dallas native, so I was here. I was here working. I had my mm -hmm. circle of friends, but now. I have immersed myself more into the city of Dallas okay. and learned to, to interact with other groups of people that want to make this city better. So I, I will say that there's pockets of uh, awakening okay. that are occurring within Dallas, but I certainly feel there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Yes. And that's not unique to Dallas. No. You know, any, any city across the country, mm -hmm. they're dealing with these, these same issues. Yes. And it's easy to look the other way and Pretend it's not a problem yes. and let it fester. But you know, right now we're in a period of relative calm, yes. and this is the time to be intentional about what we do. Exactly. Well, well, I'm grateful for your willingness to answer that still small voice within you that says, this is what I'm meant for right now, and, and this is what I have to do. Thank you for being an agent of healing, not only in an operating room, but also in a city. Uh, we 
pray for you and <laughs> want to be your partner in all of this. And uh, it's uh, it's really great to have you on Good God, and we appreciate you coming and sharing your story. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. Terrific. Thank you, Brian. Thanks. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White, guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Faith Forward Dallas at Thanksgiving Square is a broad and diverse coalition of Dallas's faith leaders dedicated to service, hope, and a shared vision for North Texas. Faith Forward Dallas creates and supports a community of respect and compassion for all. Sharing in the mission of the Thanksgiving Foundation to heal divisions and enhance mutual understanding. 